Would you notice with me Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and 23. It says, To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The resurrection of Christ is the single most significant event in human history. It is more, so much more than the happy ending to a wonderful story because Christ's resurrection changed everything. Heaven, earth, and hell would never be the same after he rose from the dead. Christ's resurrection is the turning point. It is the watershed moment which forever altered our existence. The resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is not only historically accurate, it is personally transforming. In other words, it not only happened... It happened for us. And in a sense, it happened to us. Christianity itself centers on the resurrection of Christ. We are saved by believing the gospel. And we are called to proclaim this gospel as Paul did before King Agrippa. Namely, that Christ not only died, but rose again from the dead. Think about this, especially you who are serious Bible students. There are about 11 sermons in the book of Acts, recorded in the book of Acts. Three from Peter, one from Stephen, and seven, about seven from Paul. In almost each one of these sermons recorded in the book of Acts, and almost in each one of these sermons, the main point of the message was a resurrection of Christ. In other words, the early disciples did not preach Christ's resurrection only on Easter Sunday. They talked about it everywhere they went. It was the focal point of their very lives. But does it matter? It doesn't really matter. How is something that happened 2,000 years ago relevant for us today? What does it mean for us? Well, that's what I want to tell you. First, the resurrection is proof. The resurrection is proof. It is irrefutable evidence that cannot be disregarded Now, Jesus was completely man and also completely God. He was not half man, half God. He was 100% man, but also 100% God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. His death did not prove his divinity. 
After all, two others were crucified alongside of him. It was his resurrection that proved his unique identity as God's son. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 4 in the New Living Translation, and was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the resurrection of Christ proves, it proves he did not die as a victim of circumstances. He did not die as a martyr, but as a sacrifice for our sins. Can you say amen to that? In Acts chapter 2 verse 23, in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, it says Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That means his death was not an unforeseen accident. It was not a mistake. It was the predetermined will of God. In fact, Acts 26, verse 22 and 23, our text, the scripture I read in the beginning, says the law and the prophets predicted Christ's death and resurrection. So the resurrection of Christ validates the scriptures and proves he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. The resurrection proves that God accepted his death as full payment for our sins. In Romans chapter 4 verse 25, it says Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So in other words, he died because of our sins. But he was raised from the dead to give us right standing with the Father. So if he was not raised from the dead, we would not be saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, the Apostle Paul makes this argument. And if Christ has not been raised, if he has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. However, since he has been raised from the dead, our faith is operative and we are now free and forgiven. So the resurrection proves to those who believe they are saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The resurrection of Christ proves the devil is defeated. I said it proves the devil is defeated. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18, I died and behold. Now, by the way, the word behold means look and see. And that means you need to think about this. You need to consider this. Behold, I am alive forevermore, but that's not all. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Keys symbolize authority. In his resurrection, he disarmed Satan and put him to naught. He neutralized the devil and the kingdom of darkness. When he was raised from the dead, Jesus put his heel on the head of the serpent. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The resurrection is proof. The resurrection proves that Jesus will judge the world. On the last day. Did you know that? In Acts chapter 17 verse 31. Paul told the people in Athens. uh, 
He said, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The New International Reader's Version says this, God has proved this to all people by raising that man from the dead. That proves he's coming back. And when he comes back, he will judge the world in righteousness. Hallelujah. So the resurrection is proof. Say it with me. The resurrection is proof. But secondly, the resurrection is the pattern. The resurrection is the pattern. Jesus is the model that sets and predetermines our future. Jesus is the model that sets and predetermines our future. Several years ago in America, my wife and I were house hunting. Uh, we, were, we were considering buying a home there in America. And so we went to many different places over actually several years. It was a long epic drama. But anyways, we went, one day we, we went to a, a place where there was new construction. And that is to say a developer had, you know, taken a big plot of land and was building houses, you know, and then selling the individual houses all in that neighborhood. And so we wa walked into the office and the real estate agent at that location told us this particular house is empty and this is the model unit. So she said, she said, now, if you want to buy one of our houses, we'll have to build it fresh. We'll build it from the ground up fresh, but it will be patterned after this model unit. And so I said, so you mean it will be exactly like this? She said, it will be exactly like this. Of course, they could customize it, but it'll be exactly like this. So the way the bedroom is, the way the bathroom is, the way the sitting room is here in this model will be exactly like the one. We're basically going to reduplicate this for you. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He is the model unit. And if we believe in him, our experience will be just like his. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we read the gospel story of his death and resurrection, and it sends a thrill to our spirit because, you know, I think in our hearts we just know our hero is alive. He's victorious. But that's only half the story. There's another reason to rejoice. What God did for Christ, he did for you. Hallelujah. God was not just working in Christ when he raised him from the dead. After all, he didn't need the work. He was actually working in you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's not talking about some of you who have fallen asleep in this service. He literally... He literally means those who have passed away, those who have physically died. He's the first fruits. The first fruits. Well, this is an agricultural cultural term, first fruits. What does it mean? Well, I'm not a farmer, but I think I know this. The first crops to be gathered will be no different than the last to be gathered. So if here's a field of wheat, the first ripened fruit that we take, we harvest that, this wheat, it will not be any different than what comes later. 
It's not like we, we put in the, the scythe, we put in the sickle, and we gather some wheat, and then tomorrow we get apples, and the next day we get strawberries. No, it's a, if it's a wheat field, we're just going to get wheat. It's all, it's gonna, the harvest that comes later will be exactly like the initial harvest. Hallelujah. So Jesus said this, these words in John 14, 19. He said, because I live, you shall live also. What happened to me is going to happen to you. In 1 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Woo. Hallelujah. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. I know I'm giving you so many Bible verses. Some of you are looking at me like you're dizzy. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Just try to hear it. Just try to absorb it. Jesus, in this verse, is called the forerunner. The forerunner. He blazed the trail which all others follow. He is the prototype. He is the mold. He is the template. Hallelujah. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18... Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. If he's the firstborn from the dead, there must be a secondborn or a thirdborn or a fourthborn or a fifthborn. Somewhere in that, in that number is you. Hallelujah. See, we read earlier in Acts 26, 23, Paul said Christ would be, according to the prophets, he would be the first to rise from the dead. He didn't say he would be the only to rise from the dead. He would be the first. He's the prototype. What he experienced. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me very carefully. What happened to Jesus in his resurrection is exactly what happened to us spiritually when we believe the gospel and what will happen to us physically at the end of the age. Let me say that again. I don't think you heard me. Maybe you're just thinking about it. Maybe you're among those who are asleep in Christ. I'm not sure. What happened to Jesus in his resurrection is exactly not similar, exactly what happened to us spiritually when we believed the gospel, when we were converted, when we received him as our savior, and what will happen to us physically at the end of the age. Woo. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he, God, made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. What does that mean? He's not talking about physical death. The people he's writing to are not physically dead. They're alive to read this letter. When we were dead in our sins, he means we were spiritually dead. We were separated. We were alienated from the Father. But then he says, not only were we made alive, but we were made alive together with Christ. He breathed into us the same new life that he breathed into Christ. But none of us here have yet to be resurrected physically. So he can't be talking about physical resurrection in this verse 
That will only happen when Christ returns. We have been made, made alive spiritually together with Christ. What does that mean? It means that Jesus became like us on the cross so that we could become like him in his resurrection. He became like us on the cross. The Bible says God made him to be sin for us, though he knew no sin. He had never committed sin. He made him to be sin for us. On the cross, he cried out, My Father, my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became like us. I don't know if you understand this, but just hear me out. Jesus not only suffered physically on the cross, he suffered spiritually. When he breathed out his last breath, he did not immediately ascend into heaven. No, sir. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He descended into Hades. He suffered there because that's what we deserved. That's, that was the punishment, the full extent of the punishment for our sins. But he was quickened by the Spirit. He was made alive by the Spirit. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that when God raised him from the dead, God the Father said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. I don't want to confuse you. Just, just hear me out. Think about it. He's the prototype. He's the pattern. He's the model unit. He was the first to be born again. And what you experience is exactly what he experienced when God raised him from the dead. Whew. He quickened us with the same new life with which he quickened him. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's why it's not enough to preach the cross. As, as, as important as that is, it's not enough. We must also preach the resurrection of Christ. Hallelujah. Can somebody say amen? Can somebody get a little happy in this house? Hallelujah. Thirdly, this won't be a long message, not by my standards, by some other standards maybe. Thirdly, the resurrection of Christ is promotion. The resurrection of Christ is promotion because it takes us to a position of greatness. It takes us to a position of greatness. Jesus did not exit the grave the same way he entered. I mean, obviously that's true. But he did not crawl out of the tomb a broken man, dejected and forlorn. He did not stagger out of the grave you know, with a black eye, a broken tooth like Olivia. A black eye, a broken tooth... His robe on fire, you know, his hair all messed up. And like, oh, oh man, my body's killing me. Oh, I feel like I've been through hell. No, 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 no. He emerged victorious. He emerged glorious and victorious. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He said in Matthew 28 verse 9 in the old King James Version, All hail! That's what he said to his disciples. In the Greek language, that's not just kind of a banal, common greeting. Hey, everybody, I'm back. No, no, no. 
It is a victorious declaration. It means rejoice. I have done it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And he said in verse 18, same chapter, Matthew 20, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means evidently he did not have all authority until after he was raised from the dead. Well, that's wonderful, but what's that got to do with me? Yeah, yeah. I knew you were thinking that. I knew it. I'm ready for you. Go to the New Testament, the epistles, read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. Oh, are you ready to shout, somebody? It says that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Let me read that again. Let me read that again. It says that God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, so what does that mean? It means not only do we share Christ's life and nature, we share his honor and authority. I'll just have my own personal revival right now. You can watch. Not only do we share in Christ's life and his nature, we've been quickened together with him, but we also share in his honor and authority. See, everybody here, I'm sure, almost, almost if not everybody here knows that Jesus went to the cross as our substitute. I think everybody probably knows that. But he was also raised from the dead as our substitute. In other words, he wasn't even raised from the dead for himself. It's not like he died and he said, hey, I'm kind of tired of this. Okay, whew, I'm glad that's over. No, no, no. He, was, he came to life. He had new life. He emerged victorious for us. And he ascended into heaven as our substitute. <laughs> so because he represents us now at the Father's right hand, because he is our agent in heaven, in the mind of God, we are now seated with him at the Father's right hand. The Father's right hand. What does that mean? Place of honor. Place of preeminence. Place of authority. Where is he seated? Well, let's go back. Ephesians again. Let's back up to chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. It will tell us where Christ is seated now. Notice, verse 20 and 21. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21. Far above. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, not only now, but also in the one to come. When he says all rule and authority, King James says principalities and powers. He's talking about the kingdom of darkness. He's talking about Satan and his minions. And notice, Christ is not seated just a, a little bit above them. Far, far. 
That means when Jesus wants to look at the devils, he needs binoculars. <laughs> What's that way down there? Oh, that's the devil. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he's far above every name that is named, every title, every ti royalty, hallelujah, every position, hallelujah, of preeminence. He's above that name. Every name. Think about it. You may be suffering with sickness or disease right now. Well, that disease has a name. And the doctor says, you've got, you know, tuberculosis. That's a name. The doctor says, you've got diabetes. That's the name. The doctor says, you have, you know, uh, hepatitis B. That's a name. Whatever that name is, I know another name that's above that name. Hallelujah. And at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Woo-hoo-hoo. Hallelujah. Yeah, he's, he's far above them. But wait a minute. We're seated with him. Come on now, come on now. We're seated with him. <laughs> We're seated with him. That means we share his authority. <sighs> let me go on reading Ephesians 1. Now let me go down to verse 22 and 23. And he, meaning the Father, put all things under his feet <sighs> and gave him as the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God put everything under his feet. All these things, every rule, every authority, every demonic power, everything that opposes the will of God, he put it under his feet. But wait a minute. And the church is his body. The church is his body. So that means, my friend, even if you're the least member of the body of Christ, even if you're the little toe on the left foot, you're still far above all rule and authority and every name that is named. Hallelujah! Come on, that's enough to make even a Presbyterian dance. I'm telling you, glory to God, that's good news. Now, if you'll just believe it, life will be different for you. If you'll just believe that, life will be different for you. So this is the end of that weakness message. Oh, I'm just so weak and beggarly. Mm, I'm just a dog. I'm just a worm. Come on. First of all, you don't even believe that. If we called you a dog on the sidewalk, you'd slap us. <laughs> that's just fake humility. Hallelujah. And that's not honoring God. Let me say this. I said this to the students the other day. You know, some Christians, every time they pray, they just talk about how unworthy they are. I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. Well, you know, we didn't think differently. <laughs> you don't need to tell us. <laughs> I'm so unworthy. Lord, I don't deserve even the smallest blessings. Lord, I'm nothing. I'm just nothing. I'm just nothing. <laughs> In heaven... John saw angels, and John even saw the, the, the spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. And they were singing, worthy is the lamb. They were singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. They weren't talking about how unworthy they were. They were talking about how worthy he is. Belittling yourself is not worship. 
Talking bad about yourself is not worship. And that's not what God wants to hear. He wants you to lift up the name of Jesus, not just put your own name down. That's not going to work. Hallelujah. So you may feel small today, but you need to remember you're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's reason to rejoice. I said that's reason to rejoice. I said that's reason to rejoice. In fact, eternity will not be long enough. Eternity will not be long enough. There'll never be a time in heaven where you'll say, okay, we've kind of sung that song enough. Let's, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, computer games. No, 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 no. The more we are with him, the more we want to just shout and praise him. Hallelujah. One hour is not enough. One year is not enough. 500 years will not be enough. Hallelujah. We will spend eternity saying, he's worthy. He's worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Praise the Lord. Woo! Hallelujah. Lastly, the resurrection of Christ is power. The resurrection of Christ is power. His ability is now available for us. Again in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prayed for these believers. It would be interesting to know how the Apostle Paul, this man who wrote half the New Testament, prayed for other people. It would be interesting to know. Well, you don't have to guess. It tells you right here. And in verse 19, he went on to say he prayed that they would have the eyes of their heart enlightened, flooded with light. That they would know, that they would understand, that the Spirit of God would show them something. In fact, he did not ask God the Father to do anything for them except to show them what he's already done. Your greatest need is not for money. It's for revelation. Every area of lack in your life can be traced to a lack of revelation. If you're living a defeated life, I'm talking to believers. If you're living under the thumb of the enemy, there's something you don't know. Or there's something you don't see the way you should see it. In fact, you don't really know the word of God till you see it in here. You might know it mentally up here, but when you see it in here, it makes you shout. Hallelujah. It just makes you rejoice. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So he prayed for them that they would have a revelation. They would understand. Verse 19 says, what is the immeasurable greatness? What a strange expression. Immeasurable greatness. You want us to know something that we can't know. You want us to measure something that can't be measured. It's like asking us, how big is the universe? We, we can't begin to describe that. The immeasurable greatness of his power, God's power. But not just that, his power toward us. His power toward us. A power that's available for us. Power working for us at our disposal. Actually, in the Greek language, it literally says the immeasurable greatness of his power into us. That's strange. The immeasurable, the immense, the humongous, 
ginormous. I just made that word up. Somebody else made that word up. The ginormous, giant and enormous together. Ginormous greatness of his power in us. It's not just out here somewhere. It's in the believer. In the believer. Hallelujah. There's something inside of you. I've got something on the inside, and it's working on the outside. What a change in my life. Hallelujah. What, what, what exactly is this great power? Let me read to you now verse, the rest of verse 19 and also verse 20. The, the immense greatness of his power toward us, in us, who believe. Note, then it says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Look at, that. Look, look at these words. The working of his great might that he worked in Christ. It's like he's trying to grab every verb and adjective he can, he can get a hold of. It's like his, his vocabulary just doesn't have enough space to adequately describe what he sees in his heart. The working of his great might that he worked in Christ. When? When he raised him from the dead. The power that's available for us, the power that's working in us is resurrection power. It's resurrection power. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Your, your life is a testimony of the resurrection. Your life, a victorious life, is proof of the resurrection. Glory to God. And notice this, according to, according to the working of his great power. According to means because of. There's great power for us because Christ was raised from the dead. But it also can mean as demonstrated in. In other words, God demonstrated his great power. He showed it by raising Christ from the dead. And according to can also mean in proportion to, in proportion to. The resurrection of Christ is the benchmark of God's power. It is the ultimate demonstration of his ability. It's the biggest thing God the Father ever did. Now, you might think creating the universe was the biggest thing. But you see, there was no opposition to that. There was nothing opposing the Father when he spoke these words, let there be life, let there be light. When he created the floor and the fawn and everything on the earth, but every demon in hell opposed him when he raised Jesus from the dead. Whew. Hallelujah. The greatest display of God's power is when Christ was raised from the dead. And that resurrection power is available for us and it's working in us right now. I said, you didn't hear me. That resurrection power is not only available for us, it's working in us right now. Come on, can you take maybe one more verse? I don't know if you can. We may just shout for an hour after this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. I'm, I'm coming to the home stretch now. About ready to cross the finish line. But let's all go together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. If you read the whole chapter, the whole passage, Paul says he gave up everything. He gave up everything to follow Christ. He lost it all, his place in society, his religious credentials, you know, uh, favor with, with, with political and community leaders. He gave it all up 
He gave it all up. But he said, but I have no regrets. In fact, he said, compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, all these things I gave up, I count them as rubbish. Some people want to talk about all they gave up from, for the Lord. Well, I used to be a, a high flyer. I was a player. You know, I was something. I was happening. But then I got saved like you did God a favor. No, the only thing you gave up was sin. The only thing you gave up is hell. The only thing you gave up was rubbish. Hallelujah. It's all rubbish compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Hallelujah. In heaven, it won't matter how big your car was. In heaven, it won't matter how large your house was. In heaven, it won't matter that you wore designer jeans. Nobody's going to care about that. What will matter is that you know him. That's the thing that matters. He is the pearl of great price. He is the hidden treasure. He and he alone is worth it all. I believe that. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be living in this place. Hallelujah. And Paul said his supreme desire was to know him. Well, Paul, I thought you already knew the Lord. Some translations say to know him progressively better and more intimately. Know him more and more. The Passion Translation says this. I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. But notice this. And to experiencing, experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I don't know, I can't read that and think that we're supposed to all be tired Christians. No energy, listless. Let's all stand up. Some people act like they got arthritis or something. They, uh, let's lift our hands. Ah, my arm weighs 500 kilos. Ah. Let's give. Oh, my. Now super arthritis. Uh. I cannot imagine with the, the overflowing power of his resurrection working in us. That's just got to change the way we live. Hallelujah. We can run through a troop. We can leap over a wall. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Hallelujah. Maybe if you just wait a little bit on these scriptures, if you just take a little time to meditate on them, hallelujah, you'll be lifted up with wings as eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. Hallelujah. But let me go back. I'm almost done. Verse 11. I read 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, rather Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Let me read verse 11. Verse 11 says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This verse, verse 11, this verse has bothered Many Bible scholars, if you ever read different commentaries, they're really troubled by this verse. They can't figure it out. Because if by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead, that sounds like Paul is unsure whether he will experience the resurrection on the last day. But that can't be what he means. Because there will be a resurrection of the just and also the unjust and if you're not going to be in one resurrection, you're definitely going to be in the other. But you don't want to be in the other one. You want to be in the first one. Trust me. Hallelujah. So, and that's regardless of what someone says or thinks about it. So what is Paul saying? Let me help you. Let me help you. The Greek word 
translated resurrection in this verse is found nowhere else in the New Testament. That word resurrection is not found anywhere else in the New Testament because it means to be resurrected up out of something, to be lifted above something. The Amplified Bible says it this way, that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead even while in the body. Paul wanted to experience the power of Christ's resurrection not after he died, but in this life. Are you listening to me? So, the church age began with the resurrection of Christ. And it will end with the final resurrection of all the saints. But in between the fact of Christ's past resurrection and the promise of future resurrection, we can walk in the present tense power of Christ's resurrection. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Jesus was raised from the dead. At the end, all will be resurrected. In the meantime, we can experience his same resurrection power while we are in the body. Hallelujah. That's why Paul prayed for these people. That's why he prayed for them. The resurrection of Christ is the proof. The resurrection of Christ is the pattern. The resurrection of Christ is the promotion. The resurrection of Christ is the power. Hallelujah. 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 Would you stand with me to your feet this morning? Can we lift up our hands?